Do you believe, sir, in global warming? What I, what I have said repeatedly is I'm not a scientist, but what I can tell you is even if you thought that was important, and there's some scientists who do and some scientists who don't, but even if you thought that was important, the United States doing this by itself is going to have zero impact. My job is to try to protect jobs in Kentucky now, not speculate about science in the future. As leader of the Republicans in the Senate, Mitch McConnell has been and continues to be one of the biggest obstacles to climate action and just about anything progressives want to do. I've noted with great interest the Green New Deal. And we're going to be voting on that in the Senate. We'll give everybody an opportunity to go on record and uh, see how they feel about the Green uh, New Deal. In November, to the disappointment of, I would suspect, all of our listeners, Mitch was re-elected. Mitch McConnell has retained his seat and, and earned a sixth term in the U.S. Senate. McConnell faced Democratic challenger Amy McGrath in the Kentucky Senate election. As a fighter pilot and a Marine, I was always focused on the mission. And you couldn't buy your way out of a tough spot. I'm Amy McGrath. And now I'm running for Senate because it's clear we need a government focused on doing what's right for regular Kentuckians. McGrath was recruited to run by Democratic leaders, and she had the National Democratic Party's full support. She raised enormous amounts of money, almost all of it from outside of Kentucky. Ultimately, she raised almost $95 million, making the 2020 Kentucky Senate race the most expensive Senate contest in history. But even with her massive war chest, McGrath was crushed on Election Day. But Democratic voters in Kentucky had another option in their primary last July. And despite Amy McGrath's enormous fundraising advantage and support from the Democratic Party apparatus, Kentucky Democrats came close to choosing a different candidate to challenge McConnell, a freshman state representative and racial justice protest leader running on a Green New Deal. I stand before you as your brother, as your cousin, as your neighbor, as your fellow good troublemaker. My name is Charles Booker. And yes, I am running for United States Senate to beat Ms. McConnell. But what Charles Booker shocked the world by nearly defeating the best-funded Senate candidate in history. And his success provides a roadmap for how the Green New Deal movement can win, even in states that have not elected progressives for many years. This week on Generation Green New Deal, the story of Charles Booker for Kentucky. I knew we could win and we deserve a chance to be heard because no one listens to Kentucky. You know, and the fact that the national media was surprised that someone like me could even have a voice and a shot in a place like Kentucky just lets you know they don't listen to us. I'm your host, Sam Eilerson. We'll be back after this. Charles Booker is 36 years old. He grew up in Louisville. I really have been doing all of this out of survival. You know, there was no political ambition for me. Um, I don't come from it. You know, both my parents dropped out of high school. Like, it's, this is not an arena I ever thought I'd be in. But I found a sense of urgency to put myself in those spaces where decisions are made because the decisions that were being made were hurting us, were hurting my community, were hurting, you know, people I care deeply about. And, um, you know, coming from the West End, 
of Louisville, which Louisville is the urban core in a lot of ways for the, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, um, and the West End is an area that is um, around 70,000 people. Um, we are isolated in a lot of ways from the rest of the city by what is called the Ninth Street Divide. When you cross over that over Ninth Street, you essentially go into a time warp. All the infrastructure is crumbling. Um, there are no places to get fresh, healthy food. Um, it's a heat island. Um, there are brown fields. Um, the, there's lead in the paint. Um, like people are sick. Um, people are battling poverty. They're unhoused. Um, they are criminalized for that poverty. And so just seeing that personally and being pissed off about it just made me always want to figure out how I can do something. Charles worked as a legislative staffer in the Kentucky State Capitol, worked on campaigns, and eventually became state director of Fish and Wildlife. In 2018, he won a seat in the state legislature. As a legislator, it became very crystal clear to me that there was a central key element to all of our problems in Kentucky, and it was Mitch McConnell. You know, my granddad always told me, if you see a challenge, you run to it. If he's the heart of the problem, let's remove him. One of Sunrise Movement's leaders in Kentucky, Aaron Bridges, helped encourage him to run. And as he made his decision, Sunrise was there from the beginning. So I'll just say that I wouldn't have a campaign if it weren't for Sunrise. Um, one of the first conversations I had when I was evaluating whether to make this, this decision um, was with Evan Weber. Evan Weber is Sunrise political director. You've heard him on this show before. We had a pre preliminary conversation and it was electric. Like we just hit it off um, and really clicked. And one of the first things that he said to me and um, convinced me that this was something that we had to take a bet on was that to take Mitch McConnell, it's going to take a movement. A few months later, Charles Booker announced he was running for Senate with a launch video produced by Sunrise. I'm not the alternative to Mitch McConnell. We are. This is Growing up in Louisville, Charles had seen the effects of pollution his whole life. He understood exactly why Kentucky needs a Green New Deal. Kentucky is like a ground zero for like all of the generational, uh, you know, ills uh, and injustices um, around the fossil fuel industry, polluting it and us, making us sick, making our, our homes sick. There's, so there's a part of uh, the West End called Rubber Town, and you know, there, where there's concentration of chemical plants that are putting these emissions into the air and you know, like you can rub your finger on the side of a house and have like black residue on it and asthma rates are high, cancer rates are high. And so folks were fighting against that and saying that, you know, not only is this making us sick, but, you know, we're getting robbed in our economy. We didn't call it a Green New Deal, but we felt it and we knew it was a problem and we wanted to do something about it. As state director of Fish and Wildlife, he saw people struggling for clean air and clean water, not just in Louisville, but all over Kentucky. Seeing folks in East Kentucky that are having issues with getting access to clean water, we're dealing with poverty, um, you know, we're dealing with housing insecurity, um, our infrastructure is crumbling, we don't have access to, you know, necessary resources, good paying jobs, you know, we can't breathe clean air. All of this animated us. and. Uh, 
you know, it, so it really made it easy as soon as we started telling that story to build this big coalition to fight for Green New Deal. I asked Charles what he thought a Green New Deal for Kentucky could look like. It really means the complete transformation of Kentucky. It means we're having a secure health industry because everyone has health care, but that we're investing in rural hospitals, that we are investing in our built environment. Folks have roofs over their heads that are being powered by the sunlight. And then those jobs are being created because we're making those parts and, and we're installing them. And so we have ownership. You know, we have Ford Company here. Um, you know, Toyota's had a big footprint in Kentucky. We can lead the way on making sure that the vehicles and, and the, the transportation we use does not have a footprint, that we move away from putting these emissions into our air that make us sick. And our geography is so central to us, our waterways, our land is so central to us that, you know, we can really chart the course forward on how we mitigate these harms and directly change course. And so, to me, places like Kentucky are best suited to be the champions of a Green New Deal. We just need to tell that story. Now, you might be thinking, hang on, hang on, that sounds really great, but a Green New Deal movement in Kentucky? Really? Isn't Kentucky a deep red state? Charles disagrees. Kentucky is not a red state. <laughs> Kentucky is an exploited state. Kentucky has been one of the most disenfranchised states in the country. This is a state that has been built on the back of hard labor. Um, it is a state that has suffered from poverty for a long time. And the through line about how that resonates politically has really come down to who speaks to the fears and the pain of people that just want a chance to live and survive. As Charles pointed out to me, Kentucky has more registered Democrats than Republicans. It has a Democratic governor. And Kentucky was a hotbed of the labor movement in the early 20th century. That song, Which Side Are You On? You know, the theme song of this show? It's from Kentucky. It's about striking coal mines. I think with with Kentucky, you know, this is a place that has been abandoned by the Democratic Party. It's not a it's not a red state. It's a state that's been left behind. We knew that we weren't going to win on the Green New Deal in the long run. You know, maybe we could win some things in the short run or whatever. We weren't going to win on the Green New Deal in the long run unless we really organized and built in the places that have been the stronghold of the fossil fuel industry for the longest period of time and also um, have been really hurt and, and degraded by the way that the fossil fuel industry um, has, has been uh, abandoning communities and leaving them behind. The thing I heard from Charles over and over is that these conversations are happening in Kentucky. Outsiders and the media just aren't listening. As I was having these conversations all over Kentucky, it was just becoming so abundantly clear to everyone that we're fighting the same battles, that we have so much in common. So let's stand together from the hood to the holler. And the Green New Deal was one of the biggest things that was like that unifying point. Um, because like I said, people don't call what they're battling with um, or the solution. They don't call it a Green New Deal, you know, but they're talking about it. 
For those of you not from Kentucky, a holler is a mountain valley. So from the hood to the holler is a call for urban and rural folks to stand together. I went to East Kentucky and I'm talking to folks that have, you know, for generations been in the coal uh, industry. I've been exploited, their jobs are gone, they've been abandoned, they know those jobs aren't coming back. And the conversation that we would have, you know, I'm talking to uh, retired miners, they were saying, we'd love to do something else. We'd love to go into solar. When we turn our water on here, it can irritate our skin. We can't give this water to our babies because we don't want to make them sick. Our infrastructure is terrible. We, we need investment. We need sustainable jobs. I know that in order to ensure a Green New Deal, we have work to do right here in Kentucky. And I encourage us to look right here at home to ask, what can our local city councils do? And what can our legislature do to support a Green New Deal? If you're from the outside, you don't think those conversations are happening. They didn't just start talking about that because I came talking about a Green New Deal. They were already dealing with it. I'm talking to you as an Appalachian. I have roots in my community, and that's why I'm here today. And that's why I support the Green New Deal, because it's what's best for our community. It really did inspire me to, to see that all we have to do is have the courage to speak up and to tell the truth, and folks will stand with you. You know, just imagine me, a young, young black guy, going to parts of Kentucky where there's no one else looks like me. Um, there are a few Confederate flags. Um, and a lot of Trump flags, and I'm talking to everybody. And, you know, and, and the response was pretty much the same overall, man. They, folks just want to survive. Um, they want a chance to live a good life. They want to drink clean water. They want to breathe clean air. They don't want to work in an, in an environment that they know is killing them and making them sick. And then when they get sick, they can't get the health care they need. They know things need to be better. And when I told them, well, that's why I'm fighting for a Green New Deal, they were like, well, hell, I'm fighting for it too then. You know, and, and I think that's the opportunity we have to build. A Green New Deal means Kentucky will no longer be held captive by King Cole. So Charles was trekking across the state, having these conversations, trying to drum up support, building that movement he believed was necessary to have a shot at beating Mitch McConnell. We had a tour across the state in which, rain or shine, Charles was out there talking to these voters about why, you know, not only, sure, he's the best candidate, but, but let's talk about the things that he's supporting and why that's best for your family. That is what he did, rain or shine, and we get on the bus, and the only thing he cares about is making sure the floors are clean. This man is on a campaign bus. All he cares about is making sure that everybody else is comfortable. And people like that, we need them in office. Shante Wolf is electoral politics director at Sunrise. Last spring, she took a leave of absence from Sunrise to work as deputy campaign manager for Charles Booker. Charles's pitch to voters was that from the hood to the holler, believe it or not, you and I have more in common than you think. And the enemy here is poverty and how, you know, the famous quote goes, poverty is a policy choice. And it starts with you and I in our homes to take this state back. And that resonated with a lot of people. 
But the big challenge was just getting people to believe he could win. In July of 2019, Amy McGrath announced she would be challenging McConnell. She was exactly the type of candidate the Democratic establishment thought would have a shot in a place like Kentucky, a former Air Force pilot who had only narrowly lost a race for a House seat in a heavily pro-Trump district in 2018. She framed the argument for her candidacy around being able to reach Trump voters by attacking McConnell for not helping Trump drain the swamp. You know, Kentucky voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. They wanted to drain the swamp, and Trump said that he was going to do that. Trump promised to bring back jobs. Um, he promised to lower drug prices for so many Kentuckians. Who stops uh, the president from doing these things? Well, Mitch McConnell. Democratic Senate leader Chuck Schumer helped recruit McGrath to run for office and continued to support her behind the scenes. On June 20th, 2020, the New York Times reported that, quote, the Senate Democratic leader repeatedly pressed some prominent Kentucky Democrats to help him squelch a primary challenge to Ms. McGrath, admitting privately that she would not be a top-tier candidate, but that they could use her to raise money against Mr. McConnell and keep him pinned down in his own race. And she certainly raised a lot of money. You may have seen her ads on social media asking for your support. Our end of the quarter deadline is coming up. Can you donate to help us reach our goal? I'm very humbled of the outpouring of support our team. Heading into the last month of the primary, Charles Booker had raised less than a million dollars. Amy McGrath had raised over 40 million. Most of her money came from liberal donors outside of Kentucky who were eager to see McConnell gone. Most donors to McGrath's campaign probably had no idea there was another strong candidate in Kentucky or that McGrath was calling herself a pro-Trump Democrat. Sunrise was one of the very few national organizations supporting Charles. And Shante said that a lot of voters she talked to just didn't believe a black man could win an election in Kentucky. So the hardest thing I will say was when we would be on the campaign trail, it was very difficult um, talking with white voters that told me that they simply believed Charles couldn't win because he was black. And because of that, people didn't vote for him. They didn't vote for him because they didn't believe in him. They didn't vote for him because they didn't think it was a strategic choice to make simply because he was black. And you know, my response to that would be, well, the change starts with you. Evan Weber said he heard similar things as he made calls to other progressive organizations and politicians trying to get endorsements for Charles. So, yeah, I mean, I spent thankless months trying to get national Democrats, national progressive community to pay attention to this race, to back Charles. And the thing that they wouldn't say out loud and would say privately and did say is, listen, Charles seems like a great candidate, but a black man can't win statewide in Kentucky. And <laughs> it was that very thing that they wrote him off for that ended up being one of the things that propelled uh, a lot of the momentum for, for his campaign. On March 13th, 2020, Brianna Taylor was killed in her own bed by three police officers who were executing a no-knock raid. Brianna Taylor, 26-year-old aspiring nurse who was shot to death by police inside her own apartment. Her family's filed a wrongful death lawsuit. In the midst of the, the outbreak Louisville of the Metro coronavirus pandemic, her death received little national attention at the time. But a few months later, a white police officer murdered George Floyd in Minneapolis, setting off a national wave of protest. These protests quickly came to Louisville, and Brianna Taylor's name became a national rallying cry. Brianna Taylor! 
Brianna Taylor is from the district Charles represented in the state legislature. Charles knows Brianna's family. When protests began in Louisville, Charles took to the streets. With just a few weeks left before the Senate primary, he thought it might be the end of his campaign. What I was taught, I come from a really big family. I'm one of about 70 grandkids. If you fight one of us, you fight all of us. And so this really was no different to me. I'm fighting for my family. And the people of Kentucky, all of them are my family. I saw my family mourning and crying out in the streets, and I had to be with them. I told my campaign team that I have to do this. And if it meant I was going to lose and that my campaign had to stop, it had to. I never expected that the exact opposite would happen. I just, I just knew I had to do the right thing. Charles became one of the public faces of the protests in Louisville. The people united will never be divided. In Kentucky, the movement for racial justice is shaking up the race to take on the most powerful Republican on Capitol Hill, giving a boost of momentum to the underdog Democratic State Representative Charles Booker, a fixture at the protests. Uh, This is yet another incident in a history of um, a reality where if you look like me, you're going to be seen like a deadly weapon before being seen as a human being. And uh, folks are crying out. And, And I have stood up in leadership of course, as a state representative, but also working with our state and local leadership to provide accountability, to push for a ban on no-knock warrants, and to push for citizen review of police shootings with subpoena power. But we got to get to the root of these issues. Why are we dealing with this trauma? We criminalize poverty, and we deal with institutional racism that dismisses and diminishes the humanity of so many people. And so my run for U.S. Senate is really to say that not only do we need to beat Mitch McConnell, but we have to transform our future so that we don't have to keep dealing with the trauma that Breonna Taylor's family and so many of us are carrying right now. As Charles' profile grew, he started to get invitations from white communities in rural Kentucky to come out and talk to them, and even to lead protests. I remember uh, I was in Prestonsburg, and me and my body person were the only two people of color, uh, a couple hundred folks, and they were like, well, Charles, can you march with us? And I'm like, sure, let's, let's go. These are our streets. We're marching as family. So we're in the streets. And, you know, it's guys, guys with overalls, you know, in the, the mountains are in the background. And, you know, the police on the side looking, you know, like what is happening here. And, you know, we marching. I put my fist in the air. And I look around. And I'm seeing, you know, I saw a little old lady looking around, like putting her fist up slowly as if, you know, like, am I doing this right? And they say, you know, she's got a fist high. She's yelling out, no lives matter till black lives matter. I mean, it was so incredible. It was a time to remember. There were times where I would be leaving the campaign office and then turn right out of the parking lot, and I'm smack dead in the middle of a protest caravan. Shante Wolf saw the momentum shifting on the ground. I mean, there wasn't a day when there wasn't an action happening. So, you know, that on top of the unrest, on top of the election that was happening and honestly being glass half full about it provided an opportunity to go talk to more people because people were already out. The prophetic video that we said Kentucky needs a movement, all of a sudden there was a movement in Kentucky. There was occupations in Kentucky. There was national attention. There were organizers thinking deeply and Breonna Taylor was at the core of it, right smack dab in the middle of Louisville where Charles Booker is from. That's Alex O'Keefe, Sunrise Movement creative director and a familiar voice on the Gen GND podcast. 
Alex had made the launch video for Charles Booker's campaign back in the fall, but he didn't have a whole lot of hope for success. I remember talking to the team just a week before the uprising, and we just commissioned a poll and he had 12% support. And they were trying to figure out some sort of plan of how to gen up more. I was like, y'all, I really think that, to be honest, it's gonna take a miracle for um, something to swing. It felt impossible. Obviously, it was tragic. It was a tragic thing, a tragic opportunity. But those are usually opportunities as black people that we get. You know what, when I was on the street, I saw people talking about what was going on, but also asking people they were registered to vote. Also, making sure they knew where their polling places were. In June, when Alex headed back to Kentucky to make one more video for Charles, everything about the race had changed. All of a sudden, I come back to Kentucky and Charles Booker is a celebrity, <laughs> you know? So I can tell you, I've, I've knocked doors for a lot of politicians over the years. I've never seen people have such a emotional, like almost spiritual connection with a politician. We were just driving on the campaign bus and seeing so many signs for Booker and he just, was, he just kept looking out the window and shaking his head. He couldn't believe how quickly things had turned. It just pays off. It pays off to believe in the actual organizers. It pays off to bet on people who believe, who have faith. The video Sunrise created during that trip to Kentucky helped put Charles Booker in the national spotlight. It fully embraced the protests and Charles' role as a leader in them. From the hood to the hollow, we've all felt invisible and alone. But finally... The power of the people is beginning to show. We've seen who keeps society running. It's the black janitors, the brown cashiers, the white folks stocking the shelves. The essential people are rising up. I've seen young people become preachers, cooks, medics. I've seen folks from the mountains. Everybody wrote off, fighting to say, my life matters. Nah, I don't feel alone anymore. Meanwhile, Amy McGrath got very uncomfortable when asked if she had attended any of the protests. Have you been on the ground in Louisville uh, with the protesters the last three days or in Lexington or elsewhere, Ms. McGrath? I have not. And why? Well, I've been with my family and I've had some family uh, things going on this past weekend, but I've been following the news and, you know, and watching and and making sure that, uh, you know, I, I think in the, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So we also have to look at, you know, is that the place to be right now? So that, that's... After the Black Lives Matter uprisings began, Charles Booker started getting national attention and got endorsements from prominent progressive figures like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, all that said, though, on election day, I was driving with Evan Weber, our political director. And he's like, so I haven't told you you want to hear like the bad news? And I was like, yeah, tell me. He was like, we commissioned a poll last week and we were down by 20 points. And I was like, I just really believe we're going to win. I've been on the ground a lot of times and I can only, I've only seen this kind of attitude towards Obama. You know, this is the man we've been looking for. In the inner circle of the campaign, um, we had this sort of running phrase uh, that was sort of our big motivator, which was just shock the world. <laughs> we just kept saying that over and over again, and that was the goal. Yeah, one thing led to another, and, and I think at the end of the day, we did shock the world. Okay, we're talking about yesterday's election that, quite frankly, we don't know a heck of a lot about. What do we know about what happened yesterday? 
yeah, that day, election day, we saw people not like, we, there was one voting location for all of black Kentucky, basically. And they locked those people out early. Yeah, we were on the air as those doors closed right after six o'clock and just under 200 people were still on the pad outside the Expo Center, pretty frustrated. We are now at, I believe, 6.04. And, and now I'm already seeing chance about let us in, let us in a little bit here. We had to fight to make sure folks were able to vote because of the unique circumstances. You know, a place like Jefferson County, which, you know, metropolitan area of around a million people, one polling location, and folks were banging on the door to get in. Um, and we knew that they were banging on the door to get in to vote for me. That night, as the first round of votes were counted, Charles Booker was leading. He was winning in-person ballots by a big margin. But of course, given the pandemic and the fact that there were so few in-person voting locations, a lot of people had voted by mail. We know that 161,238 people uh, showed up to vote yesterday in person. That's an unofficial figure that could uh, that could rise uh, uh, going forward. The number of people that voted by mail is actually probably five times larger than that. Well, I would I would canvass people. A lot of people were like, I voted for Amy like a month ago. I never heard of Charles. Can I change my vote? And I was like, no. Counting all the ballots took nearly a week. That week was, was brutal on <laughs> my you know, I, I told I told folks it was it was like you know growing up and waiting for Christmas, um, and and imagine waking up for Christmas and and someone telling you, okay, no, it's tomorrow now. With all ballots counted, Amy McGrath won by two percent of the vote, forty five to forty three. If we had had one more week <laughs> in that campaign, uh, I think uh, Charles. Booker would have been um, the Democratic Senate, Senate nominee, um, and I think he very well may have defeated Mitch McConnell this November and, and be the next senator from Kentucky. After winning the primary, Amy McGrath continued to raise enormous amounts of money, but she never got close to McConnell in the polls. At one point, she infuriated Ohio Democrats by running a pro-Trump ad on TV. Kentucky shares a media market with Ohio, and Ohio is an important swing state. President Trump wants to drain the swamp. Let's start with Mitch McConnell. I'm voting for Amy. I'm Amy McGrath, and I approve this message. In the end, McGrath lost by 19 points. We will never know whether Charles Booker could have beaten Mitch McConnell if he had been the Democratic candidate in the general election. Polls from June showed both Booker and McGrath trailing McConnell, but Booker did better than McGrath despite his much lower funding and name recognition. So what's the lesson of Charles Booker's race in Kentucky? In a way, Amy McGrath's campaign mirrors what happened in a number of Senate races in rural, red or purple states, places like Iowa, North Carolina, and Maine, where Democrats ran moderate candidates who didn't take bold stances, suffering a string of disappointing losses. Many of these candidates got fewer votes in their states than Joe Biden did. Shante says it's time to stop running on so-called safe messaging. So I think what we saw in this past cycle is that a lot of the messaging from the establishment Dems was safe. What the problem was with that is that that messaging simply did not meet the urgency of the moment. People are fed up. Charles's message was not safe. Charles's message was, was the urgency of the moment. And we need that because people need to see that we actually are in the state of an emergency, like climate, 
is a state of emergency. The fact that, you know, our numbers of COVID in America, to me, should be a humanitarian crisis. Like, that is very urgent. Another big lesson is investing and organizing over the long term, not just a single candidate who can raise boatloads of money. Charles believes that by actually doing the work of organizing, training candidates and activists, listening to people on the ground, progressives can win even in states the Democratic Party has left behind, like Kentucky. And that's what he's focused on now with his new organization, Hood to the Holler. We're telling a new story about how we're in this fight together. And so it isn't an idea of winning over white folks or winning over folks in, in the black community that have given up or that have been disenfranchised and don't think democracy matters or accounts for their humanity. It's about listening to those folks. They're already there. We don't have to win them back. They're already there. They've just been ignored. They've been left behind. They've been abandoned. And what Hood to the Holler is really trying to do to get to the core of that is mobilize folks to be the champion for that truth where they are. The key for Charles is to go into communities and talk to people, not just during an election year. We, we can't be afraid to go to the places that Democrats haven't gone, that progressive energy hasn't been seen. I mentioned Weisberg a lot because, you know, that was one of the first places I went in East Kentucky where folks were like, I don't go, Charles. You know, they're not going to support you young and black. There is a true progressive movement in Weisberg, Kentucky. And what's next for Charles Booker? Yeah, so th- this year is huge for us. You know, 21 for us is what would be considered an off year. There are no off years. We are launching a massive voter registration campaign across Kentucky, making sure folks understand that this isn't just about when you vote. This is about engaging democracy every day and making it accountable uh, to us every day and leading in it. You know, I don't believe I've run my last race. I'll just share that with you. I, you know, breaking news. I, I don't believe I've run my last race. Well, it just so happens that Kentucky's other senator, Republican Rand Paul, is up for re-election next year. And the new DNC chair, Jamie Harrison, indicated that if Booker chooses to challenge Paul, this time the National Democrats will be behind him. We're going to fight in all 50 states. We are going to engage in battle. So Rand Paul in Kentucky, I got a friend, Charles Booker, who's going to knock on your door. Well, I for one say run, Charles, run. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, if you like this show, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash generationgnd. Patreon subscribers get access to bonus content, an invite to our Gen GND Zoom happy hours, and more. That's patreon.com slash generationgnd. Special thanks this week to Karthik Ganapathy, Kelsey Coots, and Patreon subscribers Bram Hubble, Sam Shames, Ben Inskeep, and John Olson. This episode of Generation Green New Deal was produced by Takuna Alam Productions and distributed by Critical Frequency. I'm your host, Sam Eilertson. Nate Birnbaum and I created the show, and we wrote and produced this episode with Michael Catano. Our executive producers are Amy Westervelt and Eric Axelman. Our story consultant is Maggie Lanier. Mariel Olentine produces our companion videos, which are edited by Nick Dammon. Michael Catano is our editor and also our mix engineer. Pulkit Data is our impact producer. Our artwork was created by Matthew Fleming. And our theme song is Which Side Are You On by B. Dolan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>